When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a controversially labeled prestige uh, project here. We are talking about <laughs> 1991's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. And we have some cover here because we're like, you know, I, this is this is pretty pulpy prestige. I'd seen it before. Jim hasn't. I said this is pretty pulpy prestige. But, you know, we're letting the, the patrons uh, make the, the last cut. So let's just slide it in there. Nobody will probably go for it. It's it was the overwhelming favorite. Uh, so we're talking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, uh-huh. which I think was definitely marketed as a prestige kind of like historical piece of fiction back in the day. But 30 years on, uh, <laughs> you know, we're at the 30th anniversary for, with that June 14th this year. Uh, it definitely doesn't feel that way, <laughs> at least at least not to me. Jim, ha- have I, I guess I, I let me let me let me do my spiel here. Uh, this yeah. is directed by Kevin Reynolds who kind of got his start, or Kevin Costner got his start with uh, the movie Fandango. He also was an uncredited second unit director on Dances of the Wolves, where he got really close to Kevin Costner, and his name being attached to this project essentially pulled Costner in. Um, The screenplay is by Penn Dinsham and John Watson. Music by Michael Kamen, uh, who wrote many, many scores before his life was tragically cut short uh, in 97. Uh, he wrote Brazil, Highlander, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Roadhouse, Last, a- Last Action Hero, um, and also some other, you know, that's like very on-brand action, but also What Dreams May Come and Iron Giant. Um, also notable for the soundtrack, this movie birthed a Brian Adams mega hit, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Oh, was which that was like the best single of Brian Adams' career. A hit? He, he what? Is this movie why that song became a hit? I think so. Like it came out at the exact same time. I mean, that's just how these movie deals used yeah. to. This used to be a bigger deal. It doesn't happen nearly as often. Uh, that- the Goo Goo Dolls did that with with the City of Angels. With that, uh, did they? Yeah. What was that movie with? Uh, I don't know. The 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 people in it. You know, <laughs> the people doing the thing. Uh-huh. Um, but Brian Adams, yeah, number one Canadian export. Um, enjoyed a massive hit with this. Was on. Number one on the U.S. Billboard list for 14 weeks. Jesus. Uh, and it was just hammered into my consciousness. And you hear it throughout, like, the, 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 the bars of this play almost in every scene that Maid Marian's in. Uh, it stars Kevin Costner, who, say what you will about his later stages of the career or where he's at now. He had a lot of, a lot of fucking bangers. Uh, Untouchables, JFK, uh, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Dance with Wolves, Bodyguard, 13 Days. Waterworld, Postman, Man of Steel, sure, but there's some some greatness in there. Uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, who we've seen in Unforgiven, Shawshank Redemption, Seven, Amistad, Million Dollar Baby, Nolan's The Dark Knight uh, trilogy is Lucius Fox. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, playing Maid Marian here. The Abyss, Perfect Storm, Color of Money, Scarface. Uh, We've actually seen a lot of her movies, uh, coincidentally, lately. Yeah. Christian Slate, uh, Slater, uh, Heather's Pump Up the Volume, True Romance, and of course, Bald Movers recognize him 
uh, from Mr. Motherfucking Robot. Yeah. And uh, Alan Rickman plays a sheriff of Nottingham. You've seen him in Sense and Sensibility, Galaxy Quest, Dogma, uh, playing Severus Snape on Harry Potter. Brian Blessed, uh, Flash Gordon. He's the voice of Boss Nass from The Phantom Menace. And my personal favorite, mm-hmm. he was the original Old Deuteronomy from the original London run of Cats, the musical. Okay. Michael Wincott, who was like every sleazy bad guy in the 90s. He played Top Dollar. And and the crow, he was a mercenary in Alien Resurrection. Oh, and finally, right. finally, this is slightly spoilery. Sean Connery makes a cameo appearance as King Richard, very into the movie. Brought down the house when I saw this on opening night, uncredited specifically to preserve the surprise for audiences. Just a lower to boom, unpaid to, too. To Did a, you know that he he, he took he, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fee, but he said just donate it to charity. And they That's did his favorite Scottish charity. He he yeah. opened up. He wanted a million for uh-huh. one day of filming. <laughs> That's obscene. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Mr. Sean Connery here during this podcast. He's James Bond. What do you want? Uh, I so I really liked this film back in the day. Um, I saw it opening night. I was always a big fan of kind of like. I know historical things. I, I guess anything that didn't happen in my time. I like really old stuff and I like far future stuff, you know. Uh, it took me to, to be a coming adult to actually like stuff that's contemporaneously or kind of set in the century. But uh, I really like this. I really I, I thought like, you know, most of the depictions of Robin Hood were either cartoon foxes or dudes in emerald green tights. <laughs> and like this felt like serious and weighty and like, oh, you know, he's wearing actual armor. And I thought the stunt work was great. Um, I thought the story was great. Uh, I was, I think, 13 to 14 at the time. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I, there's 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 definitely cracks that I, I'm seeing 30 years in. What did you think? This is you got fresh eyes on this project. What did you think? Coming I in? do. I got two. I, I don't know. I had expectations, though. That's the problem, because I, I remember this being a huge hit. Everybody like talked about it. But I this 91. I was nine years old when this movie came out. There was no way I was watching this movie. It's like the the. I just wasn't interested in anything even close to this. And Kevin Costner was nothing to me. No, absolutely nothing. Kevin Costner was nothing to me until 95 when Waterworld came out. Uh, that's my Kevin Costner. I don't give a shit about Bodyguard. I don't give a shit about <laughs> Dances with Wolves. What a stupid name for a movie. What a stupid movie in general. <laughs> I did not care. I could not have cared less about Kevin Costner of until course, Waterworld. Of course. So that was not the draw here. I didn't know who Morgan Freeman was because... Uh, he's in adult movies right i'm a kid Mm -hmm. uh so yeah i just totally like didn't care about this movie in any way shape or form uh right up until yesterday when i watched it i kind of still don't care about this movie this movie is weird man this movie it's i i saw the trailer for this movie and there's like dramatic music and there's the fucking the shot of of Kevin Costner pulling the bo- the flaming arrow back and letting it fly right, right at the, the camera. camera. Yeah, I'm like yeah, that looks iconic. fucking badass. It does. That is the shot that like I think sold everybody on watching this movie because you thought it was going to be something poster. like that and that that was going to be the movie. The yep. movie is nothing like that shot. That shot, in fact, is like less than a second of of a two and a half hour movie, and mm-hmm. the rest of it is good in parts, but kind of a mess in a lot of places. This movie's tone is about as 90s as you can get, I think. 
just in yeah. its it, discrepancies. Like th- there, there's a very serious movie here at the heart of this thing. And for like 85% of the runtime of this movie, it's very serious with, with, you know, moments of levity and lightness, like the little John fight, which I like. Um, uh-huh. And then there's Alan Rickman in this movie who is in an entirely <laughs> different movie, who in fact is in the movie Robin Hood men in tights in this movie. I, yeah, I don't understand what they were doing with this character because he's a complete buffoon, but he's doing terrible, horrible things to people. There is a rape scene in this movie that is played as straight up comedy and slapstick comedy. It's wild, man. This movie is bizarre. Yeah, it it is a real time capsule because what Alan Rickman is doing is old school scenery chewing. Yes, he is a mute. He is in a dull, lifeless project and he's like, fuck this. I'm busting out. And I guess this came from like the pre-production, like before he came on. First of all, he turned this role down twice because he thought the script was dull and plotting. Mm-hmm. And then he finally relented. But he said, I got to get some guys to punch up my stuff. And he yeah. went and got two friends of his who were writers to like write him some, I guess, the you at 1030 and you at 1045. Bring a friend. Uh, that was, uh, you know, uh, added to the script. I think he improvised the sp- cut your heart out with a spoon part. But and and you're right. This guy does not belong in this movie. Mm-mm. But I kind of want to see the movie he does belong in. Oh, you've seen uh, it. It's called Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's yeah, made want, two I, years I, later I, by Mel Brooks. I wonder if because the sheriff in Nottingham was just ridiculous. It was uh, what's the guy with the mold is going all Lewis, over his face. Uh, yeah. I, I can't curb your enthusiasm yeah. guy. Uh, uh-huh. He he's not great. In fact, Robin Hood Men in Tights is not a great movie. But like, if you <laughs> I got love Robin Hood Men Rickman, in Tights. But, if you got yeah. Rickman in there, it would be a straight upgrade. Um, yeah, I it's think fascinating. So. I read I didn't you know, because I was a fan of this movie and then I didn't watch it for 20 years. And then uh, uh, I got a wild hair last year or maybe earlier this year to watch this movie. Maybe it's when it came to Netflix. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Let's watch it. Um, apparently, Kevin Costner hated the fact that Alan Rickman was running away with this movie. And he personally oversaw cutting something like 15 minutes of the material. Because there's a whole complex plot where he's trying to take over England. And this mu- this witch woman is his mother. And there's like all this, like, there, there, there's there's tons of like behind because they, they established this like cult that he's running. And then they, you never, you, there, there's, there's like just gaping holes in this movie where mm-hmm. Alan Rickman is supposed to be. And, uh, you know, a Kevin Costner is just in there. Cut, 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 cut. Can't have him upstage and can't have him stealing the show. I feel like they and... should have just fired Alan Rickman. Like, I love Alan Rickman. He's great. And he's this entertaining in this, but it's utterly it's... forgettable with that, with that Alan. It, just like all of Kevin Costner's other movies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't Later, know. So, yeah. He, he, I don't know. This uh, felt I mean, like Touchables a... is still cool. Damn it. Oh, sure. JFK is still cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not because of Kevin Costner, though. Well, do we want to get... I mean, I, I feel like we've kind of broadly spoiled some stuff. This is a 30-year-old movie that is not yeah. a movie that I think you can really spoil because the spectacle... There's not, like, twists and turns. It's more of just, like, the spectacle of it. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie, um, here's what it's about. This is kind of a gritty reboot of the Robin Hood 
legend where they get into his you know, dealings with the third crusade with Richard the Lionheart. I'm pretty sure the timing on all these things doesn't actually fit the Robin Hood mythos, but whatever. Uh, he is a kind of a callow playboy youth that gets swept up in a damn fool idealistic crusade, gets mm-hmm. imprisoned and his time in the, that prison and uh, seeing the fundamental unfairness of life changes him for the better. He escapes with the help of uh, a, a Muslim compatriot in the form of Morgan Freeman, returns to England to found the place has gone to hell. Uh, his old family castle has been taken over with some shady business. Sheriff Nottingham's running the country into the ground in the absence of King uh, Richard the Lionhearted. And uh, he's got he's got to put things back to rights. He's well, got a oh, marshal the common folk. The, the sheriff of Nottingham murdered his father and mother and family and Details. burned, burned Details. his home and yeah, all that. stole all of his wealth and inheritance. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's got to marshal the, the commoners of the land to take, take things back. And by God, that's what they do. Uh, if you want to see Kevin Costner wrestle with an English accent, um, does he? And, and does Alan he Rickman, try? he's got a couple of, if needs be that he tries to kind of reach and get Shakespearean. And that's the I thing is like, they, they pulled okay, him back. Like he wanted it. to go for it. And they said, no, Mr. Costner, you cannot do this spoilers. to our movie. <laughs> We're in spoilers. Kevin Costner, uh, famous master of accent work, wanted to do the English accent, fought with, uh, um, Reynolds. And I guess he did weird things. Like he tried psychological things where, when they were having an argument about how the scene was going, he would only disagree with him in his Kevin Costner voice, and he would agree with him in his English accent to try to <laughs> build a positive association. He's like, like, yeah, it's funny, it right? <laughs> Kevin Costner's cracking psychology books to try to get his English accent in this movie, and he does smuggle it in the back door from if scene you can to do scene. The accent. Just say, okay, instead of the twenty million you owe me, I'll do eighteen million plus an accent. <laughs> what would be funny is if his key to do it a flawless Bostonian accent is to try to en- an English accent, you know, uh-huh. like if he's got yeah. like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try to talk like a southerner and that's going to get me to to Boston. And if I try to do Boston, that gets me to being um, yeah, there's there's it's, it, it comes and goes. But honestly, no one really is trying to do any kind of mm, accent other than Morgan Freeman like, is trying that Middle Eastern accent. What does that sound like? Not great, Bob. It's, not great. it's a way of speaking, but I don't think he's going. I don't know if he's going for an accent or not. Oh, um, he is. And it's not good. And, and you got guys like Brian Blessed who are Englishmen uh-huh. and Rickman and they're, you know, they're doing it, but they're that they, they kind of get that free. Um, yeah. Reynolds didn't want Costner to do the accent because I guess it was bad. And also he thought it was distracting and he thought like, I got Kevin Costner this famous leading man to be Robin Hood. I want him to talk like Kevin Costner. <laughs> you know, what's more distracting to me is when King Richard rolls up and has a Scottish accent. That's pretty fucking distracting <laughs> uh, just to me personally. But what do I know? Mr. Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> King, King Richard Lionheart, a secret Scotsman. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I mean, we, that's how bad we are in the, the, the North America. Like anyone that comes from this vague collection of islands uh, is, is just is assumed yeah. they're just English. Yeah. And it's, right. it's really offensive to the Irish and Scots uh, people of the world. But, you know, we're 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 dumb Americans. What are you, you going to do? Uh, yeah, this movie, you, you mentioned it, it's a mess because it's like it's got muddled accents. It's got this and that. 
Um, I want to talk about some other things that, in retrospect, bother me about this movie. This movie feels kind of cheap. Like, have you ever stopped and look at the hallways they're walking through and how, like, they're just, like, Mm -hmm. obviously foam bricks that have been spray-painted like a metallic gray. Especially of of Rickman looks the some of the like barrels and things like just the props mm-hmm. the the rope like it's just really cheaply done and made like there's a couple things that are cool about like the little Ewok forest village that they got going in sh- the Notting Hood uh, in the you know not what is it Nottingham Ham. Forest yep um I. I, I, the, the, I was like really looking at the, the, the ladders and stuff. It just it, it just doesn't feel like people would really live there or like anything was structurally strong enough. It was just all done for everything looks like a facade. Um, mm-hmm. And it just 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 really comes across that. Um, I found the same thing about the costuming. Like it's definitely more realistic than like what Errol Flynn was rocking. But I don't know. Everything is just so muddy and grimy um and i i guess that is an improvement over the 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 green stockings business but there's just something they're going for authenticity but it still somehow does it's it's like the witcher or wait season of the witch where we're talking about like someone made like really cool helmets and armor and it's probably off a reference from some tapestry or something yeah but like it's probably from a pastiche of like 400 different years worth of stuff and Mm. it, it, it just doesn't there's something that doesn't feel like it all goes together there was no unifying concept of design or historicity that ties it together yeah which very much strikes me as a 90s thing like the the movies were it's it's one of the many reasons i say this feels like a 90s movie is yeah yeah they just don't sweat those those historical details they don't sweat the props they don't sweat really much of anything other than like let's have a some some kind of action movie you know yeah but they're patting themselves. You can tell they're patting themselves on the back that like, look, we went out and filmed this at Harridan's wall. Look, we're actually sure. here in the UK the, filming this We're, you know, like uh, this is this is brown leather instead of green tights. It's and I even yeah. think I remember people saying like, oh, this is the one of the more historically accurate films. It's ever. But I don't know if that's like me. But but I, I think this is like an interesting midpoint where people were like realizing that the overly bright and gaudy MGM backlot kind of things that they had done before the Errol Flynn, the swashbuckling stuff like was no longer popular, but people still wanted these stories. So they, they knew that they, Hey, you know, we gotta like, like what Marvel finally realized about comic book uh, heroes. Like we, there's gotta be a little bit more gritty realism for people to grip it. But this was like an early step towards that direction. You know, yeah. the, the, the way to actually do it is to, to crack open some books, do a lot of research, you know, get some artists and some blacksmith, you know, the Lord of the Rings thing where mm-hmm. you can kind of like either go high fantasy or, you know, you, you do a lot of research in the materials of time. But like they, they they knew the one thing wasn't working, but they didn't know how to do the other thing. Yeah. So, you know, you had kind of cool people with various realistic bits of armor, but they're walking around in styrofoam sets. That are clearly backdrops and things, uh-huh. um, and it's it's too bad because a little bit more, like another five million dollars of budgeting and pre-production, and they they would have had it. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, in in doing research for this film, one of the things that sprung out is what a slapdash production it was. Like Kevin Costner was trying to fit this in between these mammoth projects, Dances with Wolves and Waterworld. Yeah. And the director had like, I think 12 weeks of pre-production to do all of this stuff. 
and they started late in the year where it was getting into like England stormy season. And I heard many times like, you know, it's like the, the, the longer goes on, the less like the, the, the days get keep getting shorter and shorter. And if we have a little bit of like a winter rain, then we have to can like we're not. So like everything was like, uh, you know, late and rushed and like you just have to get the shot and move on. And it, it definitely it definitely shows. Think so. Um, I don't know. There, there weren't a lot of moments where I, I was feeling like, oh, they clearly didn't get what they wanted here. I just felt like what they were going for was not something I wanted. Like they wanted it, I didn't, or or somebody on on set wanted it. Like Alan Rickman wanted it, Kevin Costner wanted it, somebody, but I I definitely didn't. I I wouldn't say I really liked this movie. Um, th- there were moments though, like I-, I feel like that little John fight is fun, um, in a way that the rest of the movie, it's the right kind of lighthearted for a movie like this. Um, or, or for, for a movie, like I thought I was getting, I guess, um, whereas Alan Rickman stuff is not the right kind of lighthearted. It's, it's too silly. Um, the little John stuff is more fun to me. Yeah, I think that's good. I think the basic storming of the castle sequences at the end, they're pretty mm-hmm. good. And they have a lot of nice set, set pieces. It is. Uh, I like the tension in it, the, it, the final scenes. Um, it, 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 but it's it's all undercut by, as you said, the the uh, slapstick yeah, kind of like rapes no one. No one kind of takes seriously in, in, the, in the movie. No. Um, and and that's the thing. That's the, so like I have big bugaboos about tonal shifts, like inappropriate tonal shifts in movies. And I think that's like the big problem that this movie has is that you know if you want the lighthearted stuff like robin looking through the wrong end of the telescope and like not mm-hmm. understanding what's happening here like you know just make him to be the biggest dumbest idiot of all uh-huh. time if you want rickman chewing the scenery if, if you want all that stuff then you got to get rid of like the fucking sadistic torture scenes right and the beheadings and the hanging the child endangerment and the rape and oh, yeah or if you like want i came back that, from war and it changed me like that kind of shit, yeah. Yeah, and if you want to keep that, then you got to get rid of like the slapstick stuff with the uh, the telescope, and you got to get rid of yeah. Al- you got to get someone that can be a really menacing villain. Which Alan Rick is in his wheelhouse. Sure, he can like, do that. If Rickman was in Die Hard gear, this mm-hmm. is a different movie. But it was just it's just kind of a, a a mess of those things, and it starts early. Like if this is. And, and and I guess the scriptwriter was taken by the idea of like, what if we updated Robin Hood instead of him being kind of like this boyish rogue that swashbuckles through? What if he's like got like some pathos? What if he yeah. you know has an arc of being like this kind of like silver spoon rich kid that then goes out and sees the world and it changes him, and then he comes back and he wants to you know bring you know make make those internal changes manifesting out? Like that's an interesting idea, but they're constantly over undercutting it. Like as soon as. Robin Hood gets back to England, he starts acting like that idiot boy. He's prancing on the wall. He's talking about mistletoe and how many girls he used to lay back in the day. And like, there's none of this. It almost like he does all of his character work from that scene to like, I don't know if I like, like, like none of that actually came through. There's some dialogue where it's like, oh, you know, I've changed. But like, it Mm -hmm. never actually catches up to the script until like, the middle point in the movie where he realizes that he's this outlaw kind of band of yeah. peasants is, yeah. is, is the way to go. And he's going to have to train him then like, like in an instant, all of the weight comes onto his character. Right. It's, but it, it's, right. it's weird how it doesn't hang together. 
yeah no it's very strange um can we talk about the random devil worship that was shoehorned in this the whole the whole witch plot the 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 blood and the, the casting of bones or whatever and yeah, there's a literal cackling crone in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels very kind of rushed and ill thought out because uh, so Robin's dad is seen in very early to, uh, in the movie, like writing desperate letters, trying to find out if his son's still alive. And uh, and then the uh, uh, Rickman tricks him with this like pretty shoddy subterfuge into writing out and uh-huh. the, he's met by a whole bunch of cultists wearing white robes and holding torches and wearing masks. That is supposed to kick off this whole witchcraft plot where, like, Rickman, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham, is trying to subvert the English throne. Uh, and this, his, his witch that turns, this witch that turns out to be his mother with this decades long plot to put her rotten progeny on the throne of England and turn them all into devil worship. The only vestiges of that are this vague illusion of a prophecy and how you should take the throne and the white robes, but everything else has been so like, there's these questions like, what the fuck were these guys in the white robes all about? Because that's never mentioned again. And then, like, the whole wanting to put your child on the throne of England feels like an afterthought. Like, the witch just, like, literally was, like, smoking a bowl and having big ideas. Like, oh, oh, you know what would be sick? Once we pull off this thing, put our, put put your son on, on the throne of England. It's, it's, it, but that's because yeah. there's, like, 17 minutes of this plot that's on the cutting room floor. Thanks to Costner because he didn't. Thanks he to Costner. didn't like that Rickman was stealing the movie. Uh, that's that's wild. Um, I, I got I got most of it though. I I will say like yes, there are big holes, and I'm making a lot of assumptions and leaps of logic here. And, and there are just like scraps of lines that tell me things. I, I think at one point Alan Rickman does call the witch his mother. He, he says something uh, like, "Ah, oh, mom, I don't want to clean my room" or something like that, and. There is an yeah, and I so think you you're pick right. up like there is that hint of it and you're like, OK, all right. So I fill that out a little bit more, but I didn't feel like it was her plot. I felt like he wanted the throne and he was using her witch talents, let's say, uh, to, to get that. So so I definitely didn't pick up on some part of that. But yeah, most of it almost worked almost still, even with the cuts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's all other tonal shifts too. Like I kind of like him now that I've, I've I see this movie uh, for what it is. Like yeah, there's yeah. this sack of this pillaging where the sheriff of Nottingham is punitively raising the ground of 
the merry men, their home villages and burning it down. And they're like, you know, dragging out men and women and children from the huts and they're setting them on fire. And then there's this inset where they show them pulling down a birdhouse. Uh huh. And I think that's like, (laughs) I I can't tell if the director was like wanting to do a Robin Hood men in tights and like this is like, oh, this, or like he's earnestly saying the men's destruction is so thorough that they even. They even slighted the bird's castle. No domicile withstood the wrath of Alan Rickman. Um, But there's also, and then they cut like, there's another scene where they're raising the, you know, the the Robin Hood's hideout in in the the Nottingham woods or whatever. And they keep cutting to Rickman and he's picking his teeth, but he's picking his teeth with thick leather riding gloves on, (laughs) which is pointless. I know, but like he's so he's like affecting a boredom that uh-huh. for who? Because he's behind the enemy lines and he's doing it like wearing mitten, you know, like cooking mitts. Like it's it's you uh, can say you're bored without the teeth picking, right? Like, and why is he bored? He this is like his most hated rival that he's bringing to like why 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 is he affecting boredom? There's a like, lot of weird stuff in that scene. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that scene because it's one of the bigger scenes in the movie, right? It's it's when um, they they get the drop on Robin and they've hired the Celts to come in and be mercenaries, and so they've got a huge army by comparison to Robin Hood's Merry Men. Um, and then they come in and they they attack the Ewok village uh, that mm-hmm. Robin Hood has set up with a bunch of like people in trees and stuff with the catapult and they start burning everything. Yeah. They recruited a bunch of Scotsmen mm-hmm. uh, as mercenaries. Uh, so it looks like uh, like every extra from Braveheart, which hasn't been made yet is coming storming right. through Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, and I, there are moments where this is exciting. Um, I like seeing Robin, you know, uh, stab a few arrows into the ground and then take a knee and start firing them off one by one, killing people with every single shot. Uh, that's kind of yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then there are weird scenes. There's like a lot of tension built around little John and his wife and, and kid. Maybe I think uh, wolf. Yeah, that's his kid. Um, and, and they're on one side of a bridge. He's on the other. The bridge is burning. He's going to go out there and try and save them. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a real struggle. The bridge is on fire. He's going to have to like avoid the fire and he's going to get to the middle. And then you're going to see the thing is starting to collapse. And he's going to have to run he takes one step onto this bridge and it crumbles underneath him. <laughs> it's, it's like the end of the bridge. I was so shocked by how I thought that the disparity between how I thought that was going to go and how it actually went that I laughed out loud when it happened. Uh, and then there's a whole rope swinging scene, which defies physics. I mean, Kevin Costner swinging around on this rope. The rope is attached to six different places in the sky <laughs> at one point. And and his family's swinging around and there's fire and arrows and it's ridiculous. And, but. and like every time he's swinging from a rope, he does not look in control. He's turning like yeah. not like fairly tight 360 spirals. And I noticed that they, they there's a couple cuts where like. It would definitely be more exciting to see him complete the swing and land and k- take off running. But I noticed that they had him complete the swing behind this enormous tree. So they could cut mm. him like spiraling out of control and like not going to be able to stick this landing and probably look like a fool. Uh, and then they just cut it and then he comes running from the other side of the tree. It might even be a stunt guy. It might not even be him on the rope. Oh, you might be right. You might be right. I will yeah. say that they do a lot of like, you know, close up work with him doing stunts where like, you know, he's doing it. 
mm-hmm. that's the other thing. It's like the archery in this film about Robin Hood um, is pretty terrible. Like, watch how if you know anything about archery at all and how to hold a bow and how to pull it back and stuff. Like, most of the merry men are doing the like thumb and finger pinch method, like a little kid would use with like a mm-hmm. like a, a toy suction arrow set. Yeah, like I dare you to try to draw any kind of real bow back with that grip. You can't do it. Yeah, you can't do it. You can get it but between like, your right, index and middle, right? Well, you're supposed to use three. Yeah, you're supposed to do all three fingers to draw back and like tuck, three. tuck the the knock between your your index and middle finger. But uh, there's uh-huh. there's the I, I guess the English longbowman used to use two two fingers. But whatever. The point is, only <laughs> okay. Kevin Costner really has a handle on like how yeah. you should shoot a bow, how you should draw it back, and and mostly his shot stuff with looks, your back, pretty good, right? Not not really your arms so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he seems um, like he knew what he was doing, but the rest of them, yeah, they're. Well, I mean, they don't know what they're doing, really, right? They have a montage, a tra- an obligatory training montage, which kind of levels up some of these people, but half but of them. That's it. So, so yeah, you're right, you're right. But I I noticed in my notes that like every one of the merry men outside of Will Scarlet and uh, Little John is essentially Mary and or Pip from Little the Lord of the Rings. Sure, they're like little buffoons that are like all but holding the bow backwards like they're not that <laughs> stupid but they're about that stupid that scene that they're trying to rip off made marion mm-hmm. is like again slapstick comedy out of nowhere in his gritty gritty reboot reboot of uh robin hood y- you mentioned this being an ewok village mm-hmm. uh one thing i knew about this from that that netflix series the what is it the toys we grew up with or toys that made uh, us the toys that made us most of the so Kenner did the action figure line for this movie, and it's one of the hack jobs of all time. Uh, but the the uh, I, I keep on saying sure Sh- Sherwood, but it's uh, it's Robin Hood is in um, it, it is Sherwood uh, Forest. It's Sherwood. Yeah. It's Sherwood. It's not not yeah, a game, Sherwood, name, right? So the Sherwood Forest set is literally the Ewok Village from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> no, really? They just put in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves box. Friar Tuck, I shit you not. No. Is a Gamorrean guard. No. Whole body Gamorrean <laughs> guard with a different head put on it. Get out and, of like, here. And like most of the other cast were like uh they had a DC line <laughs> of like like Green Arrow and hot, and like they just did like alternate sculpts for the heads of like Green Arrow, but they molded it in different plastic so it looks like brown leather armor instead of like green it's it's one of the most uh uh crappy uh oh there's two uh Ewok um, like catapult and like glider type things from uh-huh. Return of the Jedi that they're not even in this movie. Slap Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves on it, get it oh out the door for nineteen ninety nine at Target. <laughs> it is one. It's one. It's it's actually a shameful chapter in in, in Kenner's uh you know uh, downward spiral. Yeah. from the heydays of Star Wars. I'm all but, for recycling plastic, but that's ridiculous. Come on. Yeah, I, I mean, if you the the Friar Tuck one is is really funny because mm-hmm. it's recognizably the Gamorrean guard. <laughs> with a fryer tuck head on it wild um but hey man you, you sold on those plastic molds mm-hmm. you definitely sold on those plastic molds do they repurpose like obi-wan's robes for him or i i so i don't know because my thought is like if you just this is actually not bad because it's kind of his rough body shape and mm-hmm. he's got sandals on and whatnot <laughs> you know um but like yeah do they have a cloth i can't i've never seen a picture of him with a cloth robe that covers everything what about the hands what about like the warty skin did they like gamorian guards are not 
like that's human true. You think they, I, I, I don't know. Anything. Maybe they, I, yeah. I, I, I'm just saying Painted, that, like, if I'm you sure. look it up, if you look it up, it's the exact same mold. I don't know. They do a lot with making a flesh tone other than green. I think they change maybe do, some breastplate stuff. So, it, they, they, it's, they it's a strange like, number of fingers. They, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't that's know. Wild. I've never bothered to count the fingers on my Star Wars figures, but uh, yeah. Um. I thought that was pretty funny because it's like, yeah. like so many things in this movie, it felt like a lazy cash grab. Can we talk about this movie in relation to Robin Hood men in tights? Cause that's my perspective on this. I come into this movie sure. having seen Robin Hood men in tights, liking Robin Hood men in tights quite a bit. Uh, that is my reference for Robin Hood. And so when I see this movie, I'm when I sit down to watch it, I'm like, okay, how much of Robin Hood Men in Tights is inspired by this movie and how much of it is just inspired by Robin Hood folklore in general? This movie is 100% the inspiration for Robin Hood Men in Tights. It does not get oh, made yeah. without no. this movie being made two years earlier. No. And to be fair, Mel, I, I like Mel Brooks. Uh, that's not a controversial opinion. He was kind of in a lazy cash grab mode in this part uh, uh, point of his career too. Sure. I don't think Robin Hood Men in Tights is as funny as we all remember. I because what, what what I did is as soon as I watched Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, I'm like oh, no. I'm in the mood for Men in Tights. Watch it right back. There's some solid jokes at the expense of Robin Hood Men in Tights, but there's also some like just lazy like cultural pop culture commentary, like oh inflatable sneakers and ah right, you yeah. know. The blind it's, guy's not dunking, he's blinking because get it, he's blind. Right. You know, there's a lot of it's lot of stuff like that. It's just it's not like particularly funny. It's just oh, it's a riff on Prince of Thieves too. There's that yeah that kind of stuff yeah. where it's like Dave it Chappelle wouldn't be funny without wearing, Prince of Thieves. Wearing the air air robins mm-hmm. or whatever because it's a Nike thing and that was big. It's like yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bunch of that. bunch of kind of cringy shit and. Its greatest gift is it brings Patrick Stewart to do the uh, dude. Am it, I it wrong pa- in that Patrick Stewart is a straight up upgrade from Sean Connery? Uh yeah, a guy that you got to bribe with a, a, a charity gift to the salary <laughs> and a uh, guy versus, who has an uh, accent that actually makes a lick of sense in the role he's in. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's penance for trying to be an English Frenchman in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Fair, but Fair. Uh, <laughs> he did yeah, have no, a lot I, to make up for. Uh, I I like that. Um, I like that a lot, but you're right. Like this, that Men in Tights is not getting made without Prince of mm-hmm. Thieves because it's nine. It's it's essentially seventy five plus percent of the material. Oh yeah, I only knew the story of Robin Hood uh, through Men in Tights, and I'm happy to see that the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves uh, mostly tracks. You know, there's yeah. there's it, some stuff in there that I assume is not in the old Robin Hood lore. Like I don't know. He probably kills his dad, but there probably isn't a witch that's trying to put her son on There's the no throne. There's no witch. Right? Yeah, and then that's I'm not the thing familiar is like with also the older lore. I'm not nearly as familiar with the original Robin Hood lore. That like I, it's more of like hazy memories of Errol Flynn plus the Fox furry uh, adaptation from the like the late 70s, yeah, the Walt Disney, Disney one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, um, I guess the one thing that like they did, um. They did bring in from the myth. I, I looked at this in, in the, the ballads because I guess these were all originally like ballads that people would sing about is oh, okay. um, I guess in Robin Hood canon, the ancient canon made Marion was a little bit of a badass and that they did mm. fight uh, and she handed Robin Hood his ass. And I, I guess that's actually like a shock. Like 
you get the idea that Robin Hood met a lot of his merry men based on them beating him up. And then him, he's like, oh, I can't possibly beat you. I'm going to recruit you like the little John. Like, oh, they're all like mm-hmm. are individually better than and like Robin Hood's the generalist who might be like really good at arrows and, and, and whatnot. But he's not so good at the other stuff. Um, gotcha. I, a, I like that kind of like, yeah, you can see it early. Like, well, we can't just have this lady being a damsel in distress. So I know let's dress her up like Queen's uh, Princess Zelda from the time where she pretended to be a ninja yeah. and have her have him almost beat up Robin Hood. And then everything else we do in the rest of the movie where she's just a conventional damsel in distress mm-hmm. in extreme distress. It's cool because she was an action hero girl uh, for two minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, they and do, suddenly like, that went away. I don't know. And they do. There's a little bit of agency because, like, I appreciated yeah. the idea that she didn't just get married, didn't agree to marry the sheriff because, you know, she had to go like that fact that he essentially ransomed or held hostage like an entire village worth of children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, Alec Riffman's so good where he's like bends down to that little girl's face and say, like, I have a very sad story. My parents died when I was very young. I'll have to tell you about sometime. It's a miracle that I'm insane. And then he just bulges his eyes out at the six year old girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like, you know what she is, what she's supposed to do. Like, you know, fuck you. I'm not getting married. And these kids get their thrill. Like how many, how many kids throats the cats be slipped before she's like, fine, I'll marry you. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty traditional role. We'll say. And, uh, mm-hmm. I also just and they do think kind that- of the reverse while we're on the subject of like non mm-hmm. non traditional roles uh, for genders. <laughs> they have the beautiful woman swimming in a lake, totally nude scene, except it's Kevin Costner. They kind of reverse that one, which I yeah, found they, pretty they, hilarious. They, they flip the David Bathsheba skip it, uh, script. It's uh, the woman gazing longingly at some some comely youth's backside and the comely yeah. youth in this case is like 47 year old Kevin Costner. <laughs> right. I don't know how uh, old he actually is in this dude, movie, but he seems older. That's, that's a big problem. And of course we've, we've, we've noticed that it's, it's used to be worse in Hollywood. Like, you know, one of the things that the, the only thing that doesn't really hold up in rear window is the idea of Jimmy Stewart playing like a 24 year old, you know, kid essentially. Yeah. Um, but like everyone's too old in this movie. Kevin Costner was no, 36 ever, when this movie came out. So like 35 Really? Yeah. He's born in 55. He looks older. I, <laughs> I can't believe what 30 years of like plastic surgery and stuff have adjusted what I think people should look like. I compare yeah. this guy to like Paul fucking Rudd and Brad Pitt and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just assumed he's in his mid 30s. But still, like, I feel like every like, I don't know, like there's something very dynamic about Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Like he is not a knight that plods around in armor. Um, He does kind of is is light of heart and prone to singing and things like that P- putting kevin costner into this who's just kind of like put it charitably a sturdy kind of screen presence and then casting uh mary elizabeth the uh, mastrantonio opposite they're just the blandest dullest versions of these characters they have no color literally I- like their palette is so like when she shows up for a wedding day, and maybe this is part of the the pre production crap, but like she looks like an like an ice queen, like she's all done in like these weird silver armors and and dark grays, and there's just no life or color to any of it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't think Kevin Costner is a very dynamic presence on screen. I think he gets half. I don't know. It's it's 
rough because I've seen Robin Hood Men in Tights and Carrie Ellis is. I mean, if you if you can find a more charismatic human being, I'd like to see them because mm-hmm. holy shit, he's good. Um, if he were Robin Hood in this and he played it seriously, because I know he can do that. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been twice the movie that it is. Uh, Kevin Costner is like just a wet blanket of an actor for me personally. I know a lot of people like him. But yeah, I, I don't he's kind of charming in this in certain scenes, but only just like serviceably. I like him most when they're the movies making fun of him, because like I really like the scene of him not, not understanding a telescope. Um, some stuff like that where they're allowed to kind of poke fun at him, I think works uh-huh. a lot. The little John scene, that's part of why I like it. The little, he's the little John great. scene, yeah, which is borderline just slightly less ridiculous than what they make it out to be in Men in Tights. <laughs> slightly, but, yeah. Y- yeah, like it's yeah. like, come on, man, this is waist deep water. Let's, let's, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> I know you can drown in as little as two inches, but that's if you're sure. a baby and you can't hold your head up, you know, like, come on. Um, but I, I just, I I would I wonder what Carrie Elwes would look like if he played a serious in in that era of his life uh, if he played a serious Robin Hood right because like even like 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 a serious like Errol Flynn style Robin Hood because he's got an essential kind of twinkle in his eye that I think really yeah. suits the role mm-hmm. but the Mel Brooks version is just way too farcical to to, to take seriously for know? sure I agree but yeah Kevin Costner is not my favorite actor I'll say that. I will say that back in the day, I thought that the end of this movie uh, really worked well, that like they've got this plan and there's all these complications to it. Yeah. And some of them are because the plan's going wrong. Some of it's because stuff just like, you know, the the bad guys just maybe like a little bit smarter than they should be. And and I thought like some of that stuff just just really works well, like the fact that like Will, although they just set it up, like why does Will got to get so close? Was he supposed to tell? uh wolf something was he supposed to say like don't worry we're going to save you why why was he so close that he could be recognized by this the, the last time we saw this kid he was being drug away screaming traitor traitor at at will scarlet why does he get this close but yeah if you've overlooked that like them you know taking him and trying to hang him and there's no rope so here here's a barrel that's convenient we're going to lash him down a bit and that's the barrel that they're going to use to kick off the distraction mm-hmm. like you get this kind of like you know oh my god all these things are going wrong and what's going to happen and all the heroes just kind of have to improvise i think the tension there is really good i i got kind of absorbed into that scene as it was happening especially when like the kid is like swinging there and the gallows and robin hood like you know like you think he's just going to cut it right but it's like halfway cuts it because he's interrupted and he's got to reset like and then all the men are hanging and uh, little john's trying to push over the scaffolding and Morgan Freeman's blowing up shit and making all kind of help. Like it, it, it's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, because it's all out in the brightly lit courtyard, it's in a real location. You, I, I, it's probably even a real building, um, or something that they've used for something, but they built something sturdy. It's not made out of styrofoam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just, yeah, it just works really well. Uh, it's got some of the best arrow stuff. I still love it when he like rips the two feathers off the arrow and, and does the double arrow. So they split and, and kill licks, the guy simultaneously. He licks a feather at one point. He licks to, one uh, when he shoots the rope. Yeah. What can that possibly do? <laughs> I don't know, man, but, ba- but imbalance the arrow. I, I right? don't know. I I've never licked a, an arrow feather, uh, but yeah, pulling it. So, so he, he uses mouth to rip 
two of two of the feathers off the arrows is that so that they'll shoot sort of in two directions they'll split I, and I, hit the two guys i don't think that's how that i don't i if you but that's lose what the a movie was, off your arrow it just flies wild but <laughs> right. maybe yeah if, if you're as good as robin hood and you know exactly how to rip them and hold them and shoot them then yeah you'll get some separation um yeah. it seemed like a shortcut to tell us oh he knows his his archery i can't believe i've never actually tried to shoot three like two arrows at once I'll have to try really? and see what happens. We do that. I'm not even sure how I, I think you get kicked out order. of the range is what happens. Yeah, you probably would. Yeah. You probably end up killing somebody and, and, and uh, standing trial. Yeah. But um, what do you think of? Oh, the, in that talk- scene also. Hold on. There's one one moment that I really like. Um, it, it's ridiculous. It's an over the top absurd moment. It's when they get into the catapult and they get shot uh-huh. over the wall and mm-hmm. And Christian Slater gets on the screen. He's like, fuck me. They actually cleared it. Like, A, the line fuck me in this PG-13 movie. Fuck me. Yeah. In this otherwise, like, not very, not very risque. There are some scenes of torture. Like, that's about as far as this movie goes. But then he just says, fuck me. Right in the middle of it. Uh, And the fact that. How risque do you need, man? His pale, white, tan lined ass in this movie. Very tan lined. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was just hilarious to me that, and then they do the Assassin's Creed thing where they land in the fucking hay carts and the chickens fly out. And I'm like, all right, that, this I, is ridiculous. I fucking love the chickens flying. Uh-huh. Also in the scene where they're hanging the kid, there's this old man that's standing next to him and he's like objecting. He's like, oh, I can't believe you're being so rough with this child as they're stringing him up to hang right, him. Right. And then after they do it, the old man like grabs his, his shoulders like, are you okay? Like, no, I'm not fucking no, okay. He's about, about to be, be hanged. He's, he's seven years old and he's strung up with a hangman's noose on him. No, he's pretty, <laughs> right. f- you know, the, the rip off of Marcellus okay. Wallace. Mm-hmm. He's pretty fucking far away from being okay. But, yeah. um, uh, what do you, we, we've talked around his character, Morgan Freeman as Azim. Mm-hmm. This is the rare combination of Noble Savage and magical negro trope it's diffusion oh, wow yeah of because they call him barbarian savage they're all heathen they're always like they're othering him that way but also he's not exactly magical but he's he worships a strange god mm-hmm. he he's got the the, the secrets he's of black powder right uh he's yeah got the secrets he's got of the spyglass yeah, it's 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 it's, it's sorcery to like yeah. multiple people say it's sorcery in the film mm-hmm. um but also like I, and and he's you know he's he's his entire character is subsumed to the will of Robin of Loxley because he's got a life dead he's got a, he's essentially a Chewbacca of this film but Morgan Freeman still he's the second best thing behind Alan Rick, Rickman in this movie even with all that baggage and sa- sure. and, and saddled with all that weight uh he imbues it with a certain seriousness and there's a lot of like you know early liberal like you know they call him the painted man and the little child asking him like did god paint you and why and like there's a little bit of i i like it but it is tropey as hell and pretty mm-hmm. regressive as a depiction i think yeah now that you you lay it out like that yeah it sounds a little more offensive than i was reading it um yeah, but I also found the movie went out of its way to try and humanize or or heroize this guy. Um, yeah, because to me, like as soon as he started like helping 
Robin, I was I was kind of like, okay, this guy seems good, right? He he helped Robin escape when uh you know he could have just left him numerous times and escaped himself. He he made good on that promise. Um, he seems like a decent guy. And then the movie has a whole scene where he delivers a baby. And I'm like, I didn't need that scene. Maybe audiences in 91 needed that scene to get on board with Morgan Freeman as a good guy here because he's, he's a a Muslim. He's a Moor. I don't, I don't know what that means in context, but like, Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't need that. And so it felt like wasted time. It felt, it felt like gilding the lily a little bit with that character. I feel like because they uh, the, because he he was so like distinct, and I I feel like they they I don't know because it was one of those kind of like uh, the the men of Sherwood Forest had to lose their fear of the alien, sure, you know because they were kind of standoffish. And it's Friar him, Tuck, like, particularly right, like Friar Tuck particularly yeah. because he's like you know obviously theologically opposed to this guy, um, but you didn't need and, him to ever like them because Robin Hood likes him, right? Like. And that's all that really yeah. matters. But that, that's what got every, that's what got all of Sherwood Forest on the Azim train. Well, I felt like they were mostly like, you know, they, they had the whole scene where they sit down for the first time as Robin Hood joins the Merry Men and they try and pass over Azim with the, the jug of booze. And Robin Hood's like, no, 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 that's, that's my friend. Like, he deserves that jug of booze just as much as we do. Uh, give it to him and then he he turns down because he's Muslim and he doesn't drink but like they are I felt like the rest of the crew already warmed up to him and it was just there to make Friar Tuck warm up to him that that baby scene and at that point I didn't really care because like I don't I don't know Friar Tuck is in addition to this movie like an hour and a half in or something and I'm kind of not interested in what Friar Tuck has to say about anything at that point (laughs) He's more like the newcomer, the outsider himself than Azim yeah. is to me yeah. as an audience member. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. In, but in universe, I don't think that's the case. And I, I don't I like Friar Tuck. I, I like this kind of like drunken, slovenly, mm-hmm. hedonistic, uh, but ultimately Monk, yeah. good hearted in, sure. in a way. And maybe and I was at a headcanon is like maybe he's so drunk all the time because of how bad the country is. Like, you know, it's being ran by this archbishop to just steal and everybody sure. blind and condemning people to death for uh, false accusations of devil worship and like all the things that Friar Tuck. Uh, and I, I also really liked his judgment scene, like, you know, where it's like they kind of like had these opposing holy men and you see all the moral compromises that uh, I mean, yeah, this is this is stuff from a better movie. You see all this like this guy who's ostensibly upright and holy and all the moral compromises he makes until the climax in the movie where it's like even he can't even believe the mm-hmm. shit that's happening, you know, like. Yeah. He's going to do this profane ceremony on this antichrist altar against the, you know, essentially sanctifying this rape. And it's in it's insane. And mm-hmm. Friar Tuck is starts the movie deeply morally compromised yeah. and like making more and more moral choices, upright choices. And it climaxes to where, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to kill a holy man and spill a holy butt, but I will help you pack your bags for where you're going. He just keeps piling that gold mm-hmm. and piling that gold until and it's almost like the man's. Yeah. yeah, the man's own greed is what did. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, Friar Tuck shoves him out the, the window. But I, I thought <laughs> right, that was but good. And it's a grace is, note huh? from a much better script to like, holy hell, that's Robin Loxley's arc is all messed up. And he's taking three steps backwards and two steps forwards and 
kind of being a sexist pig and doing, but like Friar Tuck has got a nice, and this other guy's got a nice through point and it leads up to a nice climax. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Um, I, I just didn't see it. I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't have had Friar Tuck give a shit about, uh, give so much of a shit about Azim. Uh, and that would have solved my problem because I did not feel like you needed th- that that butting of heads in the middle of this movie when we already had the butting of heads with the rest of the the cast. What did you think about the length of the film? A, a little bit long. Uh, that's kind of why I'm looking for places where I can or you can trim it. It's a little long. It's it mostly moves, though. I don't I didn't ever feel like ah, I'm super bored. I wish things would pick up. So I guess it was as long as it needed to be, but as far as the pacing, I like, I think that everything in Sherwood forest when made Marion tur- uh, shows up, just like grinds to a halt. Anytime the, like the Brian Adams theme really kicks in. And I just, I, I, to me, that's where the movie starts to plot. And that's also where like, you, you're right. The Azim stuff starts. And um, I'm trying to think of like, yeah, I don't, I, I think it might be as simple as like they're in 1991. They're like, we got a black guy in his Robin Hood movie. We're going to have to do a thing about where he's going to have to come in and be accepted because there's no fucking way anyone's going to believe that this is even though like I think modern scholarship has shown that like the medieval period is far more cosmopolitan mm-hmm. than you would, you know, like there's only a well-traveled sea and established trade routes that separate like all of Africa from say, all of yeah. Europe. Like anytime that people say there's no like black people in like Spain or like France or even like England, it's time. It's just ahistorical. They were yeah. traders, explorers, merchants, politicians, diplomats going all back and forth all over the place. Um, but I, that's what it feels like. Like, yeah, they had to like have an arc of like he has to be accepted because otherwise he's just going to be this alien presence and everyone's going to be like, what's this black guy doing running with Robin Hood? Mm-hmm. But they don't ever they don't feel like they explain the witchcraft and the the actual witch that's scrying blood. But I, I don't know. I guess those are accepted, accepted tropes at the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. What did you think? Uh, the other thing that the, the arc that I think they almost pulled off is because because I, I just like anytime they they is the, honestly, I'm getting so jaded that anytime like a person bothers to set something up in a previous scene that pays off, I like pay attention to kind of applaud. But like there's all this like. <laughs> You get all this story of like um, Robin Hood used to be an asshole, used to bully Maid Marian, and you know he's kind of known as a terror. And mm-hmm. you know why? And he's got this speech where he's like, you know, I had a rough childhood. My mom died. My dad kind of lost his way and was kind of like whoring around with the peasant women. And I didn't like how he's disrespecting my mom's, and I was angry. And then I joined the Crusades, and like all this stuff is just like background. Like, well, why? Why did you turn out to be an asshole, right? And like, why this is like excuses for why he was one way and now I've been to prison. I'm, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like how there's this naked animosity between Will Scarlet and him. And they reveal that they're brothers, but Will Scarlet is that discarded family that his dad had to get away uh, from because of Robin Hood's anger. Yeah. Like, I think that that is like one or two scenes away from really working, which I, this is kind of like the movie in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Like, Another couple of weeks of pre-production, another little bit of, script, uh, you know, uh, smoothing out the script. Maybe Alan Rickman doesn't decide he needs to go like full on Jack Sparrow mode because uh, that's what he's doing. He is. He's Jack Sparrow in the Pirates film, like everything else is kind of yeah. playing straight and he's just like lurching and it's like like the, 
yeah, the more I think about it, like look at the way he walks through scenes and stuff. Like uh-huh. he's always trying to do something extra and very much the way that Johnny Depp was developing the Sparrow character even has like, you know, like just something weird about like his hair is purple in this movie. Yeah. Like if you ever see it like shining uh-huh. in light and you can even like his beard is poorly blacked in. You can see Alan Rickman's natural shade at the roots and stuff through a lot of the close up scenes. But like if he had mascara on and maybe he did, I'd have to go back and watch. He would be like the proto sparrow. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Now that you say it, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, they do weird stuff with the camera too to make him a little stranger. Uh, they do like fish eye lenses every once in a while on the, on the close ups of with the witchcraft stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Real strange. Can we we talk about the because because you you don't like Alan Rickman in this movie. I really like Alan Rickman in this movie. In fact, every time I've watched it recently, like I think like, yeah, if Alan Rickman's not in this movie or if he's doing uh, like a Hans type performance from Die Hard. Like, I don't know that anyone fondly remembers this movie. Um, What? But surely people don't fondly remember this because of Alan Rickman's buffoonery in this. I don't know, no. man. He's he's so good to to cut your heart out with the spoon. Why cut your heart at the spoon, cousin? Because it would hurt more, you idiot. Uh, Rickman just like punching that guard, silly. And then like I don't know if this was scripted or if this is something that just happened where he walks away and he gets his cloak caught up and it starts ripping. Uh, and he's just kind of like whirling around. Uh, <laughs> him like scrutinizing the scar on his statue that someone's added. Mm-hmm. Uh. I I don't know, it makes man. It I love more memorable. I don't know that it does doesn't make it better though. I, I really don't think his performance makes this movie better. I think it makes it more notable. This movie, no, but I don't know that anything like any one thing could have made this movie better or appreciably worse. So like doing something that's interesting on the margins, you know, like him like uh <laughs> When like it, it like when Robin and Storm the castle and he's trying to impregnate Maid Marian and like there's like his witch mother is cackling about the her being ripe and and the bishop is trying to get him married and he's just trying to get her wrestled onto the ground and like he just st- stops and he's like I can't do this with all this right like centering his like he's the victim in it all like mm-hmm. I, and it's such a big line too like I can't tell you how big this line is on a podcast. But it's Rickman putting his whole chest into it. Um, and then like Robert of Loxley, he's like, look, do you recognize this? It's your father's blade that I took from his corpse. And Robin says, I'll never fear my father's blade. <laughs> and Rickman just slashes his chin and, and says, well, he says, like, no, really? And he slashes his chin is like, well, now what? Like, I just that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, my father's blade can never hurt me. <laughs> I just gave you a Harrison Ford. Now what? Like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean it's funny. It's just in a, it's just a strange thing in this movie. But yeah, no, I don't know. I, I quite I, enjoyed. I enjoyed his performance. I just wish it wasn't in this movie. Can you tell me what the difference between what Alan Rickman's doing in this and like what uh, Gary Oldman is doing in Fifth Element? Because is it because well, Fifth Element is just so well, so colorful yeah. and over the top that like yeah. he kind of blends in a little bit better? Because I think they're uh-huh. doing exactly the same thing. They're taking a thankless role and trying to find something crazy and fun in it. Uh, what's the Gary Oldman movie where he's the the crazy singing cop guy? Um, oh, that's that uh, Leon watched. the Professional. Leon, yeah, he's the DEA that's guy. that's a more of like a that's a closer comparison because that's a serious movie. 
and then you put Gary Oldman singing in it and it could be ridiculous, but I don't know. Gary Oldman has the ability to be ridiculous on screen and still be taken seriously. This Mm. performance from Alan Rickman, I do not take seriously in any way. It's a joke. It's also not a traditional Rickman role where he's just like really stretching out the phrase and like you know it's yeah. it's him being much more manic and and uh out of control uh, from an acting standpoint from all kinds of standpoint yeah um but i don't know i really like it like uh the sword fight is pretty intense and it feels like pell-mell like a real like these guys are going at it and like shit's uh-huh. getting broke and you know like robin doesn't have like the clear upper hand like i i guess going into this i would uh-huh. think and then Rickman's death where he's just drooling and <laughs> shaking like he's trying to pound out the world's largest log at the end, uh, which very, very well might be doing. I hear that's, you know, you die and then your bowels relax. Uh, I, I just love it. I, I think he every time um, and Ebert put this in his review, like this is not a good performance and it's not good for the film. Yeah. But every time Rickman shows up, you can hear the audience kind of like becoming entertained despite themselves, you know, and I feel like that's what it is. Like he is the lifeline that keeps this movie from being dull. He's always there to show up and do something crazy that you can't that that you don't expect. I think you're right. I think I didn't notice that until like at least halfway through this movie because they start off pretty slow with the Rickman buffoonery. Um, There's not a lot of it, right? He's more menacing at the beginning and he eventually you know, scene after scene where he does just a little bit too much, a little bit mm. of a strange performance. And you're like, okay, well, this guy's weird. I'm still scared of him, but he's, he's a little weird by the end of this movie. He's full on lunatic. Like he's a slapstick buffoon idiot. Um, but also competent. Like that sword fight is like you said, pretty good. And he does feel like he's a match for Robin hood. Um, and I like how, you know, they're kind of whirling around the set and, and pushing statues over on each other and tables. And I mean, there's a whole sequence Hacking where through furniture yeah. where the sheriff gets uh, disarmed and then he's just he's just running away from Robin Hood, who's coming at him. But he keeps pushing over. Like he picks up benches and smashes them over mm-hmm. Robin Hood. He pushes mm-hmm. sh- uh, statues down on him. He's jumping over things. Yeah, it's it's exciting. But. Yeah, it was a gradual build of Rickman's silliness in this movie till till the very end, which is just full on ridiculous. It is feels weird. It always feels weird to me, too, that how Robin doesn't really win. Like uh, the sheriff of Nottingham beats him and is going to kill him, uh, except for like kind of a dirty play stab in the back moment. And his own. Um, I, I don't know what to call it, but he wastes a lot of freaking time with that sword to his chest. Yeah, just like looking yeah, around yeah, saying, hey, is there it. anybody to see me defeat Robin Hood? I want to make sure I've got an audience <laughs> for this or something. And then the witch coming out of nowhere to try to kill Robin Hood and Azim like this yeah. is badass. Like Azim throwing a scimitar like woof, 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 woof and yeah. fucking impaling her is badass. But a. I don't know how the witch got there. Like Azim yeah, has spent this entire scene trying something. Tra- so she did the Kevin Costner, like tied a, <laughs> yeah. tied a tapestry to herself and like, but die hearted through the window. Okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't miss that. And all the commotion. Because last I but, saw her, she was, st- he, she was run through with the spear. She was right? run through and she's running away from this room. And again, the only uh-huh. entrance to this room is that window and the door that Azim has spent the entire fucking scene trying to beat down. Right. And he finally does it at the last minute. 
I guess the other explanation is she's a witch. She's a witch. She's just a witch. Yeah. She so seems she to have pretty she, good predictive powers. Uh, she did her witchy. I'm just saying she's fucking full on materialized or something. She's yeah, she like, could have, you know, missed it through the door. That's what I mean. I believe she has powers, at least a foresight, probably of teleportation. Why not? Uh, what else do we want to talk about in this movie? Nothing. Costner rubbing shit on himself somehow feels like a metaphor, but I don't fully understand it. Did you know? Okay, so this is one of the last things I read before we started uh, getting on the live stream. Apparently, that was that scene of him rubbing shit on him was supposed to happen much earlier in the movie when him and Zim are supposed to be going un- incognito and made Marion's crack about him needing to take a bath was supposed to play off him rubbing cow shit on him. But it, it comes across as if Robin it just stinks because he's some 12th <laughs> yeah. century dude with bad Living BO and forest. bad personal hygiene. So, uh-huh. uh, but I thought that was funny. Like it's like, it was supposed to be a joke, uh, about him rubbing the dude, but it just comes across as like a crack on Robin hood that he just, he just kind of stinks. Yeah. Um, but it does give an excuse to set up the bath sequence where he's cleansing himself and now she can see him in a whole new light. Um, cause yeah, they don't, they don't get off to, they don't get off to a romantic, uh, uh no, I was kind of surprised right that. away. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like their childhood sweethearts at all. They kind of hated each other. She used to, or he used to pull her hair. Uh, that's the other thing. He's named Robin of Loxley because of pulling girls' hair and cutting off uh, the sheriff's hair, right? That's why they call him Robin of Loxley, I assume. Because yeah, of all the locks 100%. he takes uh-huh. in his sword yep. fights. Yeah. He got the crusades. He was over there just chopping hair. He's like Boba Fett. He's got a bunch of braids of yeah. different nobleman's pelts going down his belt. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what else we got? I think that's, I think we did that's it. That's it for me. Um, yeah. I wonder, yeah, like, this feels like one of those movies that's just going to kind of disappear in time. Because uh, the 30th anniversary came and went and kind of everybody was like, ah, look at this silly thing from the 90s. Oof, put it back. Uh yeah, I, I I think at the 50th, 60th year, it'd be interesting to see like what if this movie is regarded at all, because I think that I, I do believe if it wasn't Brian Adams and Alan Rickman, this would be just a completely forgettable movie. Although maybe not, because like, it's just so weird because Kevin Costner has a legit great movie career where he plays all these leading men like women love them. My mom was fucking in head over yeah. heels love with Kevin Costner, uh, dance with the wolves era, but Kevin Costner, holy hell, he wanted to roll up in an animal skin and be in a TP with him. Yeah. My wife and says her, when, her mom was the same way with Costner. I think wild. I think everybody's moms were, it's like Tom Selleck and Kevin <laughs> Costner. Just everybody's so moms wanted to climb like a tree. Yeah. Uh, maybe like you, he's like the Keanu Reeves for leading men. Like you can just like whatever type of guy you think that, that you want to be into. Yeah. He is enough of a mannequin that you can just kind of dress him up in those, those paper clothes. But it's weird that like he got all this power and clout and what he chose to do with it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like it get like Waterworld and postman, all this, the back to back post apocalyptic, uh, savior stories. uh, and just and also he kind of turned into like I guess this is the disease of more and megalomania. Um, he kind of uh, turned into uh, this, and this is something we talked about in many of his his movies, Waterworld in particular. Like he's kind of his own worst enemy. He wants to fuck with the script. Yeah. He wants to fuck with the direction. Uh, to the point that like I did not know this uh, when we we're doing it, but Kevin Reynolds is his director on Waterworld. 
he is the director that walked off the set with like two weeks to go and left Kevin Costner to finish the entire project because he got so frustrated with his shit. This guy started yeah. Kevin Costner's career. They were best friends. And in like the span of 10 years, he hated him so much that he wouldn't even be in the same room with him. Uh, and I, mean, I guess that's what yeah. happens when you make like a billion dollars in gross in, the fi- in, in five years. You just think you can't do anything wrong. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of it is probably the studios enabling him, right? Like yeah. letting letting him run rushshot over a director that they've hired uh, to right. do their thing. And, and part of that becomes with like, hey, Kevin Costner picked the director. He's Kevin so fucking Costner. He's not our director. Like Kevin Costner is our guy. I don't give a shit what the director thinks. Let Costner do his thing. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, no, oh, it's wild. God, the, Costner is strange. What? And and wasn't he? Was he? In, no, he wasn't in Wyatt Earp, right? Was he in Wyatt Earp? Uh-huh. Yeah. He he yes, was the one he who was made Wyatt Earp. He went and made Wyatt Earp because Tombstone <laughs> snubbed him essentially, right? Like he wanted to change Tombstone re- entirely. S- and, yeah, and they said no, and this, so he's yeah. like, "Fine, fuck it. I'm going to make a competing four and a half hour movie about the same subject. Yeah, it's and it's going to star me, and I'm going to I'm going to be the king of that movie." I will say that I've been very curious in the last couple of years about like because I Bill Durham is still pretty good, Untouchables is still pretty good. It's a little date. It's got, starting to get a little dated. Um, I like JFK. It's a work of fucking fiction, but I think it's a great film. Field of Dreams, I think, holds up. Uh, I've just recently watched 13 Days. I think he's good and, and kind of like, a you know, he's not exactly a leading man. His he's Boston just kind of accent a, is beautiful. Ball, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. It's Everything beautiful it needs to, to be. Beautiful to behold. <laughs> but like, I've never seen The Bodyguard and I haven't seen Dances and Wol- with Wolves in like 20 years. I really wonder if Dances with Wolves has held up or whether it just is like giga cringe with this, uh, you know, guy, you know, like I, I just... And everything I've learned about know. media criticism in the last 30 years leads me to believe that it probably is certainly problematic in, in how it uh, portrays Native Americans and his relationship to him and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Maybe not. I remember really liking it as a kid. Um, and I really liked Last Mohicans. And I felt like that held up like a champ. We did that two years ago. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Kevin Costner, everybody, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, will will anyone make a good Robin Hood? That's the other thing. It's like every five years someone tries. Like, oh, let's do a gritty Roman reboot with the uh, Gladiator guy. Let's uh, get. Uh, they just did one with the younger fella. Yeah, yeah, which I didn't even I hear who. about. Let alone yeah. see. Uh, do, do you think they'll ever do like a like an Errol an Errol Flynn definitive Robin Hood, or is it he just been? I, Maybe it's the I, Walt Disney version. Yeah, it might be. The Fox version might be it. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, I think the story is relevant to people now. It's probably always relevant to people. There's always this class struggle. Um, So I think you could do it. I just, I don't know. The men in tights reputation that this has for me means I probably will never be super interested in a Robin Hood movie. Yeah. And I feel like anytime you, if you try to make a Robin Hood with a class consciousness, you run smack into the wood chipper of actual class. Like you've got a Lord and a King, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's, there's like, it's like, okay, well maybe they're bitching about the taxes, but like at the end of the day, it's not like, uh, he's going to usher in an era of democracy or to return power to the people. And, you know, at the end of the day, you still have a kingdom full of illiterate peasants that, uh, you know, are, are not quite ready. I mean, I had a hard time getting over the fact that Robin Hood was coming back from participating in the Crusades. 
in that's the another of this thing movie. That I'm like, Robin Hood's not the good guy here. You're going to have to convince me. And I guess they yeah. did by the end of the movie. But yeah. Um, and also like that's the other thing is like it never felt like that there was a purpose to it. They're just stealing shit the whole, you know, and, and pissing off Rickman. But I felt and like to the, the poor, you know? Yeah. But I didn't seem like like they hoarded know, I, a I, lot of that gold. There was. There, yeah, that's there, what I'm saying. A lot of it just felt like it was like a like a dragon horde that they were stacking yeah. up in Sherwood Forest. I'm like, how much money do you need to live in Sherwood Forest, man? You got all the building yeah. materials around you. You're hunting like for free and foraging and all that kind of stuff. Like, where is all? And like that's the other thing is like in the Robin Hood, like Disney movie, it makes sense because he grabs the stuff and then he goes visits the poor and he hands it out and kind of like all that kind of stuff. But like all the poor people's homes get burnt and they just all live and chill out in Sherwood Forest. Mm-hmm. So like what is? Uh, yeah, I guess they're just bankrupting because there's also I feel like this is nothing yeah. that got cut because there's this thing about like it has to happen before the barons return. Like there's some kind mm-hmm. of ticking clock that he has to have a bunch of money to bribe off the nobleman to put himself on the throne. But yeah. like all that stuff got cut, cut, cut. So mm-hmm. the shell of a movie. Uh, how did this? Did you do any? Did, did you see like uh, how this did box office or like did this get anything in the Oscars? Oh, I mean, box office did. It did great. Um, this movie's made almost four hundred million dollars. It's like three hundred eighty-nine or something on a forty-five, forty-eight million dollar budget. So almost ten x its profits. Um, that's pretty Quite good. Tidy. Uh, I heard Kevin Costner had like twelve and a half percent of gross on this movie. Wow, which is a fuckload of money. He could have personally uh, bankrolled Waterworld, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's just. I can't, I've never heard of anybody getting that much of the box office gross. Uh, that's Kevin crazy. fucking Costner, man. KFC. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, as far as awards go, it was nominated for best original song in, in the score for Brian Adams. For Brian Adams being awesome. Yeah, but nothing aside from that, which feels right. It feels right. This is a mediocre movie. Uh, I think that's that sums it up. Uh, if uh, hopefully this isn't your favorite movie, or if it is, you can see why we've ragged on it a bit. It used to be one of mine. I just, uh, it's, uh, age has not been kind to my lady. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's this, the next movie release. And of course, I can't tell you what we're going to be voting on next because we're going to shut down for a couple weeks over the holidays. If you're hearing us now, we're probably already shut down. Uh, but we will be roaring back with more prestige movies, hopefully some prestige TV. Uh, I know there's a couple projects I'm kind of excited about. Um, that I don't think I've got dates on yet, but that's what I'm holding out for. It's like something, the prestige television returning, uh, especially since we were, we're too late to hop on the succession train, which everybody wanted us to do. But um, yeah, we'll be back in 2021 and some more prestige. Uh, be check. If you are a patron executive producer, uh, check your email uh, or stop by patreoncom slash bald move to see what the next slate of three movies are going to be to vote on. And uh, we'll see you in 2022. Did I be saying 2021 this whole time? I don't. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I called Bull Durham Bill Durham. I've, yeah. I've not been 100% on this podcast. Like, I rarely am. But uh, we'll see you back in 2022. Forest. Nottingham, Sherwood, Black Forest, Ham. <laughs> uh, so many different hams and woods. Yeah, <laughs> well there's a ham stock. in this movie for sure. There is a definite <laughs> ham or two in this movie. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you back in 2022.